0: Physics world. Hello and welcome to the Physics World Stories podcast. As a layman, I would now say, I think we have it. You agree? Yeah. yeah. That was roth Dieter former Director General of CERN, ten years ago at the announcement of the discovery of the Higgs boson. In this episode of the podcast, we'll hear about the excitement at CERN at the time of their discovery. We'll hear about the research that's been happening looking into the Higgs since that discovery, and we'll look forward to what might come in particle physics. The Higgs boson is a fundamental particle associated with the Higgs field, a field that gives mass to other fundamental particles such as electrons and quarks. It's often known as the God particle because for a generation of scientists, it had to be taken on faith that it even existed. The Large Hadron Collider, a particle accelerator at CERN in Switzerland, was designed, at least in significant part, to see if that particle could be discovered. In a huge loop, under Switzerland and into France, the Large Hadron Collider accelerates protons to near the speed of light and collides them. Around the ring, there are individual experiments, like ATLAS and the CMS experiment, with teams of scientists working to study the aftermath of those collisions. Working at CMS at the time is
1: Achintia Rao. I used to work as a science communicator for the CMS collaboration between 2010 and 2018. And I was at CERN Helping with the communications when we announced the discovery of the Higgs boson.
0: I'm guessing you didn't have any insight into that before the announcement.
1: The LHC had been collecting data from 2010 onwards. 2010 was just the beginning of the operations of this machine, so there was not a tremendous amount of data that were that were delivered to the collaborations to the to the experimental teams. 2011, however, there was a lot of data delivered that was enough to begin to make your first real inroads into determining whether the Higgs boson exists or if it doesn't and that indeed was the promise of the lhc it would either find the higgs or rule out its existence entirely now in 2011 all of the data that had been analyzed gave a very narrow window in which neither cms nor atlas could rule out the existence of the higgs the data showed a little a slight bump in in the mass distribution that had a significance of about 3 sigma on both cms and atlas and what this meant was that there either was something there that was causing this bump or it was a totally random statistical fluctuation that uh, emerged in both data sets. And this is, of course, very likely and has happened in the past and since as well.
0: Just a quick aside, because I know that for many of you, the idea of sigma will be something that is just part of your parlance. But when they plot the results on a graph, it would normally, in a normal distribution, be a bell curve with the highest point of the curve in the middle and tapering off on either side. And the deviation, or sigma, is how far any given point plotted on that graph is away from the average. One standard deviation, or one sigma, plotted either above or below the average value would include 68% of all the data points. For two sigma, it's 95%. For three sigma, it's 99.7%. In other words, the higher the sigma value, the less likely the discovery is to be accidental. Back to Achintia. So in
1: 2011, once the experimental teams realized that there was this bump, what they decided to do in 2012, once fresh data from the LHC began to arrive, was to perform what is known as a blind analysis. And this means that essentially you ignore the regions that you could not rule out, where there might be something, and you only analyze the data on either sides of that band. So you analyze data at a higher mass and at a lower mass, and you tweak your analysis, you perfect your analysis, you you have a great deal of confidence in the methods that you applied. And then once you're satisfied that your analysis methods and protocols are sound, are robust, you then perform what is known as an unblinding. You apply that analysis to the data in the region that you had not excluded. And then you see whether there's something there or whether your signal disappears. And the reason scientists do it in this way at, at uh, particle accelerators is essentially to avoid biasing yourself. Because if you, if you have this notion that there is something there on a subconscious level, I'm not saying people do this, but you want to rule out the possibility that there is any subconscious tweaking of your analysis to enhance what is potentially a signal. So the blind analysis is a process where you do not look at the sort of the hot region the region where there's interesting data. You don't analyze it, you analyze everything else, and then you apply your analysis to this region. And in June 2012, so almost exactly 10 years ago at the time of our speaking, CMS had an unblinding of the data from the diphoton channel. So this is data that have been collected from proton collisions in which pairs of photons, two photons, have emerged that can be said to have emerged from the same collision of two protons within the Large Hadron Collider. So pairs of photons are produced. And so this is the diphoton channel, which is one of the channels for looking for the Higgs, one of the what is known as um, a high-resolution channel, because you can really find a very sharp peak in your data. So in June, in I think it was the 15th of June, CMS performed an unblinding on the 14th of June. And then they revealed the results of this unblinding internally within the collaboration. And that was a really cool moment. So what happens is small teams perform the analysis, and you select a priori, whichever analysis is going to be finally used. And then when you do an unblinding, it doesn't matter if you get another uh, analysis that is even better, you use the one that you a priori chose, that's how you prevent yourself from being biased once again. So the analysis was done, and the unblinding was then revealed to the CMS collaboration on the 15th of June, And you could sort of Feel the excitement in the room. So we were there. uh, This was just an internal meeting. Everyone was, not everyone was in the room because out of about two and a half thousand scientists, three thousand scientists, only a couple of hundred were there. um, The rest of them were watching via webcast or connected via video conferencing. That was when we saw that in this particular channel, the significance of the excess had breached Four Sigma. And when you see more than Four Sigma in one channel, you know, you have a feeling that when you combine it with the other. Channels that are that are key to discovering a new particle—that it might be there. So that was the moment where we felt a real sense of excitement. I was recording that meeting. So please,
2: everybody, get ready for the next fifteen minutes.
1: So what we had decided within the CMS collaboration was that these. Conversations, these um, exchanges, these internal discussions were ultimately of historic value. And even though in the moment they couldn't be shared with the world, we should still have a record of it that we can then put out subsequently. So we have on record the uh, young researcher, Ming Ming Yang, announcing to the collaboration after she had sort of prepared the presentation and stuff that this is what CMS sees.
2: This... Black one, okay, this is the combined. You can see it's the beyond which light, okay? One, two, three, and four. <laughs> <laughs> the green the the is, is for the 7 TV, and the magenta is for the 8
1: TV. On the 28th of June, just about a week before the announcement, another an, uh, another presentation was made to the CMS Collaboration. And this was by another young researcher, Andrei David, who showed the results of the same analysis in the diphoton channel, but with adding an additional 40% data that had been collected in those previous two weeks, preceding two weeks. And uh, we've gone through all of the needed steps in order to reopen the box. This means that uh, we've re among the different frameworks, we've uh, recalculated all the efficiency data to Monte Carlo correction factors, And we've re-derived the energy scale and the resolution uh, corrections from uh, the data. We've also rerun the algorithm that chooses the background model for the fits in the mass distribution. And we've gone through the full unblinding procedure actually just some 16 hours ago. These results were again presented internally and that was when the signal, the excess in the diphoton channel had a significance of 4.1 sigma. Internally, we knew. And this is across three different analyses performed into independent frameworks. So I personally think that this begs for interpretation. Thank you. We knew there was something there. The other channels were also happening at around the same time. There was the Higgs decaying into uh, 2z bosons. And the the other channels in which the Higgs transforms are much lower in resolution likelihood. So it was the Higgs to ZZ and Higgs to two photons channels that were the most interesting, most valuable ones at the time.
0: But this is all internal to the CMS experiment at this point.
1: We had no idea what ATLAS had, which is the other general purpose experiment at at CERN, at the Large Hadron Collider. Now, the reason there are two experiments in the first place that are designed completely differently, using very different technologies, operated independently by two different teams, is because we only have one Large Hadron Collider there is no way that someone else can go and replicate your work and find another way of verifying your results. So you have two teams that essentially are there to counterbalance one another. If one sees it and the other doesn't, then you need to know whether it's because of a limitation in the technology or if it's really an anomaly that one has seen and it's not a real manifestation of what nature has to show you. So we didn't know what Atlas had to say. Uh, We only knew what, what you know, the researchers on CMS who I was working with, what they had to say.
0: I imagine that was a particularly exciting time to be
1: around. The day before the announcements on the 3rd of July, I was up until very late at night uh, in my office, actually in, in my boss's office at the time, where we were putting together the website for the CMS collaboration, where we had an article that had essentially an explanation of what was going to be presented the next day, which would have only been made public once the presentation was made. So... We had an article that described what the collaboration had seen. We had information that explained things like, what is the statistical significance? What does five sigma mean? How do you collect data from proton collisions? What do the scientists look for to determine that you have seen something new? Why is that important? And so forth. So we had been tweaking the website. We had been getting new information with fine-grained numbers that had to change. And what we had also been doing is we were trying to get those translated into about 20 languages because we had an inkling that there was going to be interest around the world and that not everyone might have the expertise to understand the scientific seminar on the day itself. And so we prepared these in in about 20 languages. Sort of many people around the world could, could read uh, in their own language, in the language that they prefer and didn't have to rely on an English or French version exclusively. So I was up late into the night, uh, far later than I usually work. And I left for home a little past midnight. I took the last tram home. It was a very quiet night. There was just, I don't know, this this sense of calm outside CERN. And as I was walking to the tram stop, I remember seeing a few students, young researchers, camped outside the main auditorium where the conference would be, where the seminar would be given from. And they had camped out the previous night because they knew that there were so few seats, so few free seats available that if they had showed up the next day and started queuing, they would not have managed to get in. So they just stayed out all night, falling asleep outside the door of the main auditorium in order to guarantee that they get a seat. So I walked past them. I got onto the tram. I went home, slept for far too few hours and took the tram back at six or so in the morning to come back on on site at seven. And that's when we sort of settled into the seminar itself.
0: At that seminar was Joe Candela, the CMS spokesperson presenting the experiment's findings.
1: What you see here is now the
0: p-values. This is the probability that the background could fluctuate to this extent. And you see, combining the two years, we're, below, we're beyond 4 sigma, about 4.1 standard deviations. If you look at the p-values, well, our expected significance um, for standard model Higgs at 125.5 is 3.8 sigma, and what we're seeing is 3.2 if we combine the ZZ and gamma-gamma, this is what we get. They, they line up extremely well, and in the region of 125 GeV, uh, they combine to give us a, an ex- a combined significance of five standard deviations. Give me an idea of how secret that that is. I mean, like, would Peter Higgs be invited on the basis of one of those, or does he know that both of them have found it?
1: Ha, so um, who knew that both experiments had seen it? So the protocol that had been established internally at CERN was that if one of the teams sees something beyond a certain significance, that sort of guarantees discovery in quotes, they would approach the director general of CERN and say, this is what we have. And then the director general would invite the other team and say, this is what your opposing team has. The other collaboration has, what do you have? And if they were sort of in the same space of tweaking the analysis, then they would be given like a day or two to tweak it and and sort of come up with it because there is no way you can make drastic changes and invent the presence of a new particle uh, at the very last minute. So That was a protocol established. And what happened was, in the end, both teams saw something at around the same time. They went to the director general at almost the same time to say, This is what we have. So the director general obviously knew what both teams had, and the spokespersons of both the experimental collaborations. So Joanne Candela from CMS and Fabiola Gianotti from Atlas, they knew what the other had, but they kept it to themselves. So, and oh, okay. And the director of research at CERN also knew. So there were maybe four people who knew that there was something there, but no one knew the specific numbers. No one knew the exact significance. No one knew whether it had breached five sigma or not. It could have been about 4.6, 4.7, 4.9, 5. No one knew uh, exactly what it would be. But the closer you got to the date, as the analysis kept moving forward, you knew something was going to happen. What happened with inviting Peter Higgs, as I found out very recently when I spoke with James Gillies, who was the head of communications at CERN at the time, was that CERN didn't initially extend invitations to um, to any of the any of the theorists. What happened was Carl Hagen, who was one of the six people who did the foundational theoretical work in 1964, he got in touch with James Gillies because, as you know, the story of the Higgs mechanism and the Higgs boson is is a is a complicated one. There were lots of actors involved in it, lots of different people who were doing work at around the same time. And the story goes, to put it very simply, that François Englert and Robert Braut put out one paper, Peter Higgs put out another paper, and uh, Hagen Guralnick and Kibble put out a third paper. And the reason we call it the Higgs boson was because Peter Higgs' paper was the first and only one to mention the existence of, of the particle itself associated with this field. But the mechanism itself is commonly referred to as the brout ongler higgs mechanism. Although Hagen, Goranlik, and Kibble argue that they should also be included in that, it's a complicated story, obviously, and everyone wants to um, wants to take take you know get get their get given their due credit. So Hagen got in touch with James Gillies, Carl Hagen got in touch with James Killies, the head of suns communications, and said, "Look." We are hearing rumblings. We, we expect that if we were to arrive to CERN, that we would be given hospitality no less than what would be afforded to the other theorists who were involved in the work at the time. Um, he said, we would all like to come. So in the end, it was Hagen and Guralnik who came, and, and Kibble stayed in London where SDFC had organized a separate event. So they showed up. And once it was clear that they were going to come, then CERN decided to reach out to um, François Angler and uh, and Peter Higgs and say, we would like to invite you to come to CERN. Robert Braut, of course, who was the other theorist, had passed away in 2011. Now, um, of course, people knew that something was going to happen. And the reason for that is that the seminar was supposed to be a regular talk given at the International Conference on High Energy Physics, or ICHEP, It was supposed to be like a status update on where the collaborations are in the search for the Higgs boson. It had been penciled in to take place at this conference for months and months. And the conference was taking place in Melbourne, Australia. And once it was clear that what would be presented, if not discovery, would be pretty close to discovery, it was decided that because CERN is funded by largely European member states. At that time, the expansion of CERN beyond Europe hadn't uh, reached the heights it has today. So largely funded by European member states. and, and And the director general of CERN told me recently that it was felt that CERN owed it to its sponsors, to the council members, the member states of CERN, to have any discovery announcement take place at home, at CERN in Geneva. So, obviously, people began to say, Hang on a minute, why are they not having this talk at Melbourne, ICHEP, you know, as it was supposed to be? The only reason they do that is if they have something big to say. So, I guess everyone speculated, everyone had a hunch, and people on CMS obviously knew what they had to say. People on Atlas probably knew what they had to say. And even if you aren't telling someone what you have, if you're walking past your friends who work on the other side of the ring, of the LHC ring, when you're going for lunch and you see them grinning ear to ear, you know something's up. You don't have to exchange words to know that, you know, there's excitement on the horizon. I can imagine. But it's
0: it, this was a long time before I was doing this podcast and I'd have loved to have been in that room. But were the press invited?
1: The seminar took place in CERN's main auditorium and next to it is the council chamber, which is where the council members usually meet for their discussions. And we had set up uh, that room, CERN communications team had set up that room for the press, essentially. Because again, like Carl Hagen, the press had invited themselves over. CERN had just issued a statement saying, we're going to provide an update on where we are in the search for the Higgs boson on the 4th of July at 9 a.m. Also, 9 a.m. unusual, Sun seminars don't take place that early in the day. They usually take place towards the end of the day. And the reason was it was still part of ICHEP. And because that's in Australia, you didn't want to do it after they've gone to bed. So 9am. So Sun says, this is happening. There's going to be an update. That's it. Journalists start ringing in and saying, what's going on again? Do we? What are you going to say? Can you tell us? And Again, I'm quoting the words of the director general who said, uh, you would regret it if you weren't there. That's all. They didn't say anything more. They didn't say, oh, yes, please come. We're going to announce the discovery. It was implied that it was something you wouldn't want to miss. So, of course, journalists showed up. They showed up from all over the world, from the US, <laughs> from across Europe. So a separate room had been prepared to have the press conference where we had a lot of communicators present as well to help with any issues. and one of the things that CERN had realized very early on was you know the previous year December 2011 there had been a similar seminar a typical end of year seminar announcing you know where we are in, the, in in our physics research at the at the LHC and CMS and ATLAS presented where they were in the search for the Higgs boson and at that time both collaborations had as i said seen about 3 sigma and this was supposed to be just a um, normal seminar webcast to the community so that everyone in the particle physics world can follow what's going on. And CERN's webcast broke because there were tens of thousands of people watching this when they heard it was happening, expecting a discovery. And this was um, a huge number of people, which was obviously much more than CERN had ever expected. So they knew that there was an interest happening. So they prepared um lay explanations, live blogging, lots of other things on the same day to explain to people what was going on. But to answer your question about the atmosphere, we were buzzing. Um, I walked in that morning. I saw by the time that I got in at about seven o'clock that there had already been a snake of a queue that went from the auditorium went past the landing, down the stairs, went in front of the post office and the bank, the kiosk skirted into the restaurant, went past the coffee machines, went into the extension of the restaurant, poured out into the garden. And this was amazing because the people knew they couldn't get in. They couldn't get in and they were grinning ear to ear. They were smiling. They were jubilant they just knew it was a special day it didn't matter if they couldn't get in they just wanted to feel like they were connected somehow with the room as part of this queue they were connected with the the room that the seminar was where the seminar was going to happen and most of them i mean most of them didn't make it in the end to the room they had to be dispersed they were sent to various auxiliary conference rooms scattered around this, the campus where a retransmission was taking place so they could all watch the proceedings um in in, on big screens in other rooms around around CERN we went into the um, into the council chamber where the press conference was taking place and we were just buzzing i mean there is no other way to describe it it was so incredible and i remember our cue was when the cms spokesperson joe candela who's Spokespersons are sort of elected representatives who lead the research teams. So it's a democratic process where new people are elected to the role to lead the team. So you don't have one PI; you have rolling uh, leaders of the team of the entire research collaboration. So Joe and Candela was going to be presenting the CMS results. He presented the CMS results that day, and our cue was once he shows the money plot. When he says we have found a new particle with a significance of five sigma, was when we were going to make that article public that we had prepared the previous night. So we were there waiting, and you know when everything happened, we went and we were logged into the back end of the website already waiting. We flipped the switch, flipped it to published, saved it, started sharing it on social media, started monitoring the buzz on social media, and Joe sat down, and our attention immediately turned to Fabiola's presentation because then we wanted to know what ATLAS has, because we didn't know what ATLAS has.
0: Representing ATLAS at the meeting was Fabiola Gianotti, who is now CERN's Director General.
2: We have presented preliminary results on searches for a standard model X-boson using the full data sample recorded so far for X2-gamma-gamma and X2-4-leptons and the 2011 results for the other channels. I think these results represent an impressive accomplishment of the experiment in all its components. I would like just to mention that less than one week after we recorded the latest data, so on the 25th of July, or July, first plot containing the full statistics of the 2012 data first results on X searches were already available, with a fraction of good quality data certified at the level of 90% of the delivered luminosity. So for me, this is a, an impressive, remarkable achievable of the dedication and highly skilled work of the collaboration. We have looked for a standard model exposure over the mass region 110 to 600 GV in 12 channels, we have excluded a 99% confidence level, the region up to 523 GV, expect, except a window. And in that window, we observe a, an excess with a local significance of 5.0 sigma at a mass of 126.5 GV. The excess is driven by X2 gamma gamma into four leptons, is in agreement with that expected from a standard model X with a fitted signal strength of uh, 1.2 plus or minus 0.3 of the standard model expectation. That was
1: when we knew that it, that it exists. Um, it was a just moment of elation. Thank you. So after the seminar, we had a press conference where the spokespersons of CMS and Atlas, as well as the Director of Research for CERN and the Director General of CERN, and the head of the accelerator program all came and spoke to the journalists. And Peter Higgs and Francois Angler were also there. And they answered all of the, the questions that they had. And our senior researchers and, and the scientists who were at the forefront of the research were all gathered there, having interviews in their own languages. And by the time this was done, it was around lunchtime. And we decided to wander one floor down and go into CERN's main restaurant. And I can tell you that I don't remember what I ate. I don't remember anything about that meal. I have no recollection of it. I'd remember sitting in the extended area of the restaurant, just smiling at my friends and colleagues, just going like, yeah, this has happened. This is real. And uh, it was amazing. I don't think anyone properly went back to work. People went back to their offices eventually after a couple of hours but I don't know how many people actually went back to work that day because it was a day of celebration for the entire community and indeed for for anyone who's interested in in pure science. And of course, you don't really begrudge them uh, the fact that they didn't go back and work that day because a lot of the people who were doing the research were working day in and day out, endless hours, getting fresh data uh, every day and trying to make sure that it was in good enough shape to present this discovery. Because one of the funny things in which particle physics works is that I chip. The conference was in the calendar months ago, months before the event. And so everything that had to happen had to happen on that day or up to that day. So there were quite a few long nights that people spent working on this, putting their heart and soul into it. And in the end, it was all worth it. You
0: can read a Achintia's feature, A Day in Physics Like No Other, in the Physics World magazine. One of those researchers playing a key role who ended up in that conference room 10 years ago is Christina Botta.
3: Currently I'm an assistant professor at the University of Zurich but yeah my uh, particle physics story uh, started in Torino at the University of Torino in Italy uh, where I did my PhD at the time so it was between 2009 and 2011 so just before uh, the Higgs boson discovery uh, the group of particle physicists uh, at the University of Torino was working on reconstructing muons muons are a specific type of elementary particle uh, in one of the big detectors of uh, particles um, installed at the Large atom Collider at CERN uh, this experiment is called CMS so I work in uh, with the CMS collaboration since 2009
0: just a quick aside but the sound that you might be hearing is Christina's jewellery as she spoke but I hope it's not too distracting and in fact it sort of conveys her passion for the project even more and just while i'm here for those of you who aren't part of the particle physics community the standard model of particle physics is the framework through which physicists have understood the fundamental forces of nature over the past half a century it was developed by theorists and experimentalists and it's helped to predict the existence of fundamental particles and how they interact with each other let's get back to christina
3: So, I got involved uh, in the analysis that turned out to be uh, one of the most sensitive analyses to the presence of uh, the Higgs boson in the data that in the collision data that we were recording uh, throughout 2011, 12, 13. uh, Because I I started to work on the search for the Higgs boson where the Higgs boson decays, the Higgs boson is not a stable particle, so it immediately decays into something else, something that we can detect in our detectors. Um, and the channel where the Higgs boson decay into four muons is one of the most easily distinguishable with respect to all the other events that uh, of particles that are produced uh, um, uh, in such the so frequent collisions of the large Hadron collider at CERN. So, so um, Yes, I had this uh, incredible choice to be there at that time, uh, working on that specific analysis, um, and it was an, an intense period. And I feel very emotional to talk about it, of course, because uh, um, yeah, we were working day and night because data were coming in uh, every day, and there was a period where we thought that it was not going to be so quick. That if, uh, the if the Higgs would have really existed, we would have taken much more time to discover it. But at some point, we understood that actually our analysis was more sensitive with respect to what we thought uh, at the beginning. And so things just got very fast. And, uh, um, and yeah, so the for, for a few years, for 2010, 2011, we excluded the presence of the Higgs boson in a certain ranges of masses. So we didn't know uh, which was the mass of the Higgs boson? Um, it's not predicted by theory. Theory predicts all its behavior once the mass is measured and it's known. So we had to search for uh, a very wide ranges of possible masses. And of course, uh, with the mass hypothesis, it comes the rate of events that we um, expect uh, in in our collisions. And so we started to exclude. Uh, a certain ranges of masses and then at the end of my PhD in my thesis there was like these uh, uh, plots that shows where the Higgs boson mass was excluded apart from a very tiny window around the actual mass of the Higgs boson which is 125 giga electron volt which is how we measure the mass um, so yeah I ended my PhD with the in this moment where uh, it was almost uh, uh, going to be discovered and then I started a, a fellowship at CERN and it got crazy in <laughs> the first year it was uh, indeed um, uh, the the, LS, the, uh, the Large Hadron Collider really worked uh, well in a sense that provided us uh, a lot of data in the first months of uh, 2012 uh, and in July uh, in exactly 10 years ago, uh, this is when we had enough data to claim the discovery, to claim it without any um, scientific doubt,
0: let's say. So were you sort of one of the first people to see this data?
3: Yeah, because, I mean, uh, of course, um, uh, the X was searched in many different decay channels, as I said before, and ours... uh, So. I was working with the Torino, the university group that was working together with a um, few people in the US and a few people in the, uh, in Paris um, were working night and day all together. So, But yes, indeed, I was really running the analysis myself. So... Uh, And that decay channel is so easy because you can really reconstruct the mass of the decay of the X boson through the masses of the decay particles well reconstructed in our detector. Um, So the invariant mass plots was showing an excess of events around the 125 GV hypothesis. So the analysis was blind, meaning that you don't, you design your strategy and uh, only after your strategy is well, uh, defined and approved by the whole collaboration you run the analysis strategy on the data which means you, a partic- particular set of selections uh, of, of criteria that you apply in order to reject other events that uh, uh, are supposed to be background events uh, and so there was that specific moment when we decided that the full collaboration give us the approval uh, to unblind it and I sp- I remember very well that night when everything happened very late at night, uh, we decided to unblind with the full data set collected up to June 2012. And yeah, it was it was there. It was really visible. And the day after we we announced it, we showed it to all CMS. And it, the, in parallel, everything was happening in the very same way in the Atlas collaboration, so the other experiments. We were not talking to each other, not to biased each other because it's very easy to be biased of course if you um, if you're searching for something that you really don't know where it is uh, yeah so it's true that our team really saw it uh, in our office at CERN for the first time yeah,
0: amazing amazing I, in that day of the announcement to the world you were actually in the room
3: yeah. Yeah, I was in the room because it was very nice because we had like um, until very late at night, the day before, we helped. So there was each team. So I was the full lepton team, okay, the person that worked on the full lepton. But the uh, the statistical significance of the discovery was obtained combining different channels. So there was each team helping the spokesperson of our collaborator, Join Candela at the time, the, the person that gave the speech on the 4th of July and uh and all of us that uh, were contacts for these uh analysis uh, channels uh had a seat reserved in the in the room and we were very young at the time we were so happy they we were all the uh super experts of uh, the, la- the machine the detector the theorist and then there was <laughs> a bunch of uh yeah very young uh just graduated students uh In the front line so still now i mean i I sometimes uh watched again the uh, the recording of that day and it feels but also it feels emotional that there was two experiments completely they are different and they were doing they had the same goal and they arrived on the same day with the same announcements uh, it felt such. It felt really that science worked so well, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, all the scientific method that we we put in place, um, years and years of work, um, yeah, came together in a very nicely it was way. it's just
0: it was just an incredible moment wasn't it particle physics that you know even people who had never been interested never even thought about particle physics this captured their imagination
3: yeah i think it's all those it boys down to the to the fact that there was this theorist not o- the only one so more than one but higgs is the um, peter higgs is the one that gave the name to the to the higgs boson uh anyhow uh, there was this moment <laughs> so many years before where mathematically you predicted the, the, the fact that if you want to explain the masses of other particles, you need this uh, mathematical trick. It's exactly that, that you need to put it in the equations uh, to make everything works, and that predicts the existence of a new um, field, that and quantum excitation of fields are particles, so a, a new particle. And then, from that moment onwards, there was such a, Huge experimental effort, uh, previous accelerators, uh, uh, the lap accelerator, the Tevatron in Chicago, and then uh, the LAC, thousands of people working on it. And when you see our detectors, is like billion of cables, okay, millions of cables, and everything works uh, to, together to detect uh, an invisible particles.
0: So many cables everywhere, and they're just here because we want to find out how everything works. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, okay, so that was 10 years ago. What's happened since? Are we, do, is, mm-hmm. are we still learning about this this Higgs boson? There? Oh, yeah. The Higgs
3: boson is a, the, It has a few peculiar uh, properties. Uh, it's the only uh, particle, only elementary particle, at least particle that we believe is elementary, as, of, uh, as what we know today, um, that is a scalar, meaning that uh, is a spin, which is a quantum property of the particle, is zero. And because of this reason, this, I don't <laughs> discuss the, the, the mathematics behind, but because of this re- reason, in, um, in quantum field theory, uh, it's very difficult to explain naturally why this particle would have the mass that it has. So the fact that the mass of the Higgs is so light is very difficult to explain. It means that the theory, it's very much fine-tuned. So this is a very mathematical and somehow also philosophical concept. But once you discovered the Higgs boson, every theorist was um, betting on the existence of uh, other particles. Other particles, probably heavier, for sure, because we haven't seen them before. that could explain why the mass of the higgs is uh, uh, that is at that value uh and also could explain also other things that we don't <laughs> haven't understood yet, like what is the particle content if it has a particle content of uh, dark matter okay the, the, the matter of that is <laughs> supposed to be there in the universe and we don't know what it's made of so for this reason uh l a c was ready to. Um, was supposed to discover new states at energies around the, uh, the mass of the particle peaks, and we didn't so far. So this is one aspect of the story um, that we didn't so far, which is any in- pretty much important piece of information. So uh, they are not just out there with the um, probability to be produced the, um, of the value that we were expecting. So there's something that we are not understanding. And uh, it's fundamental. It's, uh, it's extremely interesting. And it, this is why we really need to have more data in front of us to understand where things are uh, hiding. If things are really happening, if there are new things at the energy scale that we are exploring, which is what many people believe for many theoretical reasons, on the other side, there is the Higgs boson that uh, couples to anything that has mass. So any new part, any particle that has mass, gets the mass from its interaction with the Higgs boson. So it's not uh, strange to think that if there would be something new, it would couple to the Higgs, changing its properties slightly. So um, we have started to measure the properties of the Higgs boson. So as I said before, once you know the mass of it, you the theory predicts. The probability that it would decay into the four muons, as I said before, uh, into two photons, into two uh, bottom quarks, and so on and so forth. So we go and measure the rate, the, the uh, how many events we saw, uh, given the total amount of uh, Higgs boson events produced in our collisions uh, that would decay in one particular channel. Uh, but you need to know these uh, ratios uh, with the. A very good precision in order to be sure that uh, the Higgs is uh, behaving exactly as the theory uh, is predicting. So after the discovery, it started a long, long um, uh, path toward the precise measurements of the property of the Higgs boson. So if you take the standard model of particle physics, all the other particles, since we are analyzing and measuring their properties much longer... They are um, better measured, okay, better understood. The Higgs is still uh, the, the uncertainty on which we go, with which we know the property of the Higgs are about 10 to 20 percent, which are huge uncertainties with respect to how we know the other particles that are known with the per mil uncertainty. So there's still space all what we have measured gave us the confidence that this is really the Higgs boson because it's behaving really has the theories predicting, but there's still space for uh, misbehaviour, so something that is not really standard model-like. And these things take time because these measurements are very complex. You have to really, um, especially at the large, we collide protons. So the, we, our collisions are characterised by an adronic environment. There's a lot of stuff happening in our collision because of the constituents of the protons. The protons are not elementary particles. And then we collide 10 to the 11 protons with 10 to the 11 protons. So when we smash them, there can be multiple collisions happening together. So it's very uh, difficult to um, precisely reconstruct uh, each single event. Um, So you need a lot of data and a lot of advanced uh, techniques to analyze them. In order to really measure precisely the properties of these new particles, and here we are—we are at the 10 to 20 percent precision. At the beginning, it was like, uh, yeah, not even. None of these properties were accessible at the time of the discovery. We just saw that there was a new particles um, with a certain mass, but now we are really um, getting. Everything looks consistent with the theory as of today. There's still from 10% 10% to 1 per mil there's still a long path to go
0: is there anything that will sort of excite the world the way that the higgs boson did
3: you know this the higgs boson was not was exciting for for us for like for everybody that hadn't seen that didn't go through a discovery before for the public outside because of the uh, the story you know, that brought to the discovery but it was not so exciting for the theories per se, because it was just confirming uh, a piece that was missing that the theory was predicting, and it fit with the 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 mod, the standard model of particle physics, the te- the only theory we have in our hands to predict um, fundamental phenomena. But it doesn't uh, bring us anything new on what we don't know because the standard model is not. Uh, explaining many things, we are just scratching the surface. So, all the things that we haven't understood yet are still, we don't have any, so the, we are not getting more clues with the discovery of the Higgs boson. So, something that would be totally unpredicted would be even more exciting than the Higgs boson. So, if we would discover um, a violation of the laws that the standard model uh that up to to now we, we thought they are conserved in nature or a new particles that is not predicted by the standard model that yeah that is what we are all uh dreaming of because we something new we know that this is not a fundamental theory because it has so many things that it's not covering but we just don't know at which energy scale these new things will Manifest themselves, so it could be at this accelerator, at the energy scale we are probing with this collision, or we need a much more powerful accelerator. So we, it's, but it would be much more exciting because it's something that I'm unexpected. It would be there was a moment uh, a few years ago when uh, uh, both ATLAS and CMS started thinking that there could have been uh, a new state at 750 GeV. It would decay into two photons. Then it was never confirmed. Uh, uh, it didn't reach the statistical significance um, that we need to claim a discovery. But there was a hint of something, and both experiments were seeing it. So it was, wow. Well, uh, it's not a statistical fluctuation. Then it was a statistical fluctuation. It went away. But <laughs> you can't imagine how many theory paper uh, happened the day after uh, when we had we had this first claim about this potential hint of new particle. Because, um, yeah, in this moment, theorists also need experimental inputs to understand what is the fundamental theory, uh, at least more fundamental than the standard model.
0: Uh, okay. The Large Hadron Collider is being upgraded.
3: Yes. Right exactly right now, um, we are restarting run three. So we had two runs run one and run two. Um, and run three is uh, uh, will start now and will end in 2025. (laughs) Things are changing every day, so 2025, and this will be um. We'll record data with the same at the same and en- similar, slightly higher energy, but with the same intensity. So uh, there will be the same amount of data, more or less, collected uh, per year as it was uh, during in the past. But then we will start a completely new phase in um, 2000, around 2029, 2030, um, that will last probably 10 years, uh, where we will at the end. Um, collect a factor 10 more data than the one that we have collected so far. This is a big jump. So uh, in order to reach that, uh, the machine is going undergoing a major upgrade in order to run uh, at what we call high luminosity. So it will be high luminosity LAC. Um, it means that what I said before, we will be smashing even more protons together uh, and so we will have even more overlapping proton-proton collisions, so even more complex event uh, selection uh, in our detectors. Uh, but at the end, what we obtain with this higher luminosity is more um, collision events uh, at uh, in, in 10 years, at a factor 10 more than what we, we are able to collect uh, right now. Um, And this is useful to get to the precision, to much higher precision of the measurements that we want to do. And also to still, to close this chapter on, uh, is there new physics, like new particle states at the energy scale that we are probing? So we are not jumping in energy scale. We are not going to much more powerful uh, accelerators in terms of energy of the collision. We are just increasing the amount of data that we will collect, such that if uh, these new particles are rare; they are more rare than what we thought. With these larger statistics, we can um, infer the infer their presence. Um, yeah, so we are really going in the corners uh, to try to understand if there are new particles at the energy scale we are probing. Before going to higher energy scales with new accelerators, the next uh, ten years will be about. Um, exploring this energy scale with much more scrutiny uh, than what we have uh, pursued up to now.
0: If the new particles, the new physics, isn't found at these energy scales, what kind of size particle accelerator do we need? And are they actually being built? In these years,
3: uh, there's a lot of discussion uh, in the community to understand which is the next machine uh, and uh, I'll talk for CERN, of course, because I'm, uh, uh, I've been for a long time a CERN employee and I'm working on a CERN experiment. Um, CERN is proposing um, uh, the future circular collider, so a circular collider, the same as uh, is happening uh, at LAC, so a circular collider with two beams of particles that collides in, uh, in many collisions. Many. In four collision points usually, uh, and the size uh, of it is a hundred kilometer tunnel. Uh, the current one is twenty-seven kilometer. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we are going uh, on a different yeah. scale. Um, but what is uh, I would I would like to stress that okay, that uh, that size is needed uh, for. Uh, going to a 100 TeV uh, collision, okay, and now we are at 13 TeV collision. So again, uh, a factor 10 increasing energy. And there you really probed a new energy scale with respect to the one that we are probing t- today. But before, we also need uh, to run an intense program of precision measurement um, that can be done also at the new uh, machine so not only going to higher energy scale, but also uh, exploit collision of elementary particles like electron and proton and positron, not smashing protons, but going to really use elementary particles such that it's more easy uh, to precisely measure the properties of the Higgs boson or everything that we haven't measured so precisely because history told us that usually you can guess which is the energy scale uh, where new physics will appear from deviation in precision measurements at a lower energy scale. So by now we are searching, okay? We are in a proton-proton collision machine. Um, but if we haven't we don't find anything, in order to really have some guess on the next energy scale, usually what particle physicists need is to run an E plus E minus machine, something that is really Elementary particles that collides. There's much less noise in each collision, and therefore you can measure precisely to a per mil precision the properties of the explosion, for example. And there, you any deviation would point to, uh, would tell us more about which is the energy scale uh, where new physics will appear. So we have this handle. Still, we need a new machine, definitely. So we can't do that in, uh, in, in the Large Hadron Collider.
0: As Christina mentioned, she speaks for CERN. And it's worth mentioning that there are other proposed successes to the Large Hadron Collider, including the International Linear Collider in Japan and the Circular Electron-Positron Collider in China. Let's just return to that conversation with Christina. What Are you going to do anything on July the 4th? Are you sort of involved in any celebrations
3: right? I'll go to the event at CERN there will be like a, uh, there is a celebration the whole day um, I will be participating uh, there will be talks by uh, the, each the spokesperson of our collaboration there will be like a, a, a theorists that presents their their view on all, what we have made all, all they have understood about the Higgs boson thanks to our measurements um, experimentalists that will show Uh, the status of all searches uh, today. I'm not anymore working directly on Higgs boson properties. I I I switched to searches for supersymmetry, which we haven't found it uh, yet or (laughs) never, I don't know. But still... (laughs) uh, So I'm not anymore working on the Higgs boson myself, but I will be there, of course, because I've been working on that for 10 years
0: and more. Thank you so much to Cristina Botta and Achintia Rao for talking to me. And don't forget that you can find Achintia Rao's feature, A Day in Physics Like No Other, in the Physics World magazine. And if you go to the Physics World magazine, or indeed the Physics World website, physicsworld.com, you'll find a host of features and articles all about the 10 years of the Higgs boson. We'll be back next month when we'll be looking at something else from this wonderful world of physics. And thank you very much for listening.
3: Physics World.